I forget sometimes that our hymns share tunes. When she started playing, I thought, that's the wrong song. Um, yeah, I should know better than to assume you'd ever make a mistake, but sorry. Um, I, I forgot to mention, but let me say now, um, after the worship service today, if you did purchase a poinsettia, um, please feel free to take it. Uh, if you want to help us rearrange as you go, that would be great for the next services so we don't have huge holes in our, our poinsettias, but I do want to, uh, to, to let you know. And I didn't know he was here, but I want to say a welcome because I walked by him. Dr. Langer from Sun City Center is with us today, so I saw him somewhere. Oh, there he is back there. So welcome, uh, Dr. Warren Langer, with us in worship this morning. Um, before we get started, before we turn to, to our scripture, I want to let you know this morning about you know, five o'clock or so when I woke up, the alarm went off and I was laying in bed as I normally do and, and um, just kind of gathering my senses, what little I have. And um, before you say it, I'll just beat you to it. Uh, and, and I noticed, or I could tell Tony was up, which is almost never, well, almost never happens that, that she's awake. And, um, and then, and then she, she turned to me and she said, do you go to your office before worship? And which I'm thinking, why at 5 a.m. is she worried about my pre-worship routine? But I said, well, no, not usually. And she said, you need to today. She said, the choir got you something, and you need to see it before worship. You need to go. I knew right then I was in trouble because I knew there's no way she'd be waking up to make sure that uh, I would go to my office unless it was something devious. And um, I walked in my office. I wish I could show the picture. I wish I was able to do this. There are, if you were here last week, you noticed that I, or you remember that I talked about various movie genres, and I talked about my least favorite, which would be the chick flicks. I have posters all over my office. Of movies such as um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, <laughs> Working Girl, Twilight, movies. Yeah, uh, movies. I'm glad to say most I've never seen. I'm quite proud of that. Um, so, so uh, if if you're yeah. Anyway, I don't know how they won't stay up very long, but they're there. So to the architects of that, your day will come. So, this morning we, uh, we turn in our scripture, I know that's an odd segue now into the sermon, but uh, we turn in our scripture to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. I invite us to begin just by hearing from God's word this morning. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized 
that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Friends and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak a word to us today. Speak to our hearts of the truth of your presence, your grace, and your love. Draw us close to you, close to one another. And ever further in faithfulness as we follow Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The, the undercurrent of our scripture this morning is travel. I mean, that, that's kind of a, the, the motif in, in the gospel verses that were read this morning. And, and it's kind of appropriate around this time of year, around the celebration of Christmas. If you've been out on the roads the last few days, if you've been on the interstate, you know, there's a lot of travel happening. People going and coming. The roads are packed. Uh, you know, people returning home, people coming back. That's, that's kind of part of the, the experience for a lot of people of Christmas. And this morning, we read of a in very different ways of that kind of an experience for, for the, the Holy Family. You know, travel has already been part of the story because it was that census by Quirinius that required Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem. And so it's already kind of undergirded the narrative, but here again we have this, this story of travel. And, and the central figure in the narrative is Joseph. In the, I almost want to say in the dialogue, but, but it's really not. Joseph is interesting. I was reading some reflections on Joseph this week and some thoughts on these texts from a uh, Christian teacher and preacher by the name of Len Sweet. Some of you may be familiar with him. But, but he was talking about Joseph as the kind of forgotten... Um, part of the, the birth narrative. You know, if we focus so much on, on Mary, and, and somewhat appropriately so, certainly on the birth of Christ, but, but Joseph is a lot of times kind of just off to the side, you know, in, in our nativities. He's just kind of off and over there. And there's a lot of songs that we sing from Mary's perspective or uh, about Mary, but I, Tony and I were talking about this during the week. I think about the songs that talk about Joseph. I could come up. It was interesting because in the cantata, there was one. That caught my attention. Uh, Susie and Sam and, and John, who did the, the, their song together, John sang that part from 
Joseph's perspective. That's not common. There was one song that I could think of, and I'm sure there are others, but only one I could come up with that, that was kind of from Joseph's perspective. He's kind of sometimes that forgotten part of the story. And part of the interesting thing about Joseph is you know, he, he has this, this dream, and the angel appears to him again and says, Joseph, take your family and flee to Egypt. You need to get out of town. It is dangerous. And so, so the angel says, go and have an exodus and go to Egypt. And that is a fascinating turn if you are familiar, especially with the, the Old Testament narrative. Because remember, the people of God fled out of Egypt. Their exodus was out of the land of bondage into the land God had promised, into the promised land of flowing with milk and honey. And, and now God appears to Joseph and says, you need to go back that way. You need to flee back out of this promised land into that place that for your people was a, a sign of, of bondage and, and slavery. Now, we're many, many years, thousands of years removed from those events, and that reality no longer existed. But still, it, it must have been a very startling, a very unsettling, a very difficult um, reality, truth, need for, for Joseph to come to terms with, to grasp. And it would be interesting to know what Joseph thought, what Joseph said. But, but here's the interesting thing. Joseph says nothing throughout the Gospels. We have not one word. Joseph is not a man of few words. He's a man of no words. Nowhere in the Gospels do we have any record of anything he ever said. So we, we don't know necessarily what his, his reaction was, what his feelings were. We just know how he acted. He was a man of, of deed, if you will. And for that, to be commended. For that, to be at respected because of, of the way he reacts, the way he responds. And we're going we're gonna to get to that in, in a few moments. But, but it's an interesting kind of study. It's an interesting examination of Joseph and, and this constant hearing from God in dreams. Over and over in his story, that's how God speaks. Speaks to him in dreams. And Joseph gets a direct word from God. It's interesting. A few chapters later in Matthew 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, on the verge of beginning his ministry, and he goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted there. And remember, Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. And he responds to that by saying, man or woman does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there's an implication there that I think Jesus, I mean that Joseph is a wonderful example of and, and that we hold fast to through the presence of Christ, and that is this, that God speaks to us. That God communicates with his people. Joseph got direct word from God. And we, through Christ, have this promise of God's presence that not only is with us, but that speaks to us. This, wasn't, this isn't a promise that is given to some. 
But, but God, Jesus says that the staple of your life will not be the physical sustenance, but it is the spiritual truth that God speaks into you. It becomes literally our stable. I mean, the stable, the manger scene, represents the presence of Christ that's come into the world. It's the place where people first heard audibly, concretely, the voice of God through the cries of a child. Well, Jesus says that there's a stable in your life, and it is that presence of the Holy Spirit that speaks the voice of God to each of us. I mean, that, that's part of the, the promise of our faith is that God speaks specifically into your life and into your experiences. That's what God did to Joseph, for Joseph. He, he sends an angel to speak into the midst of his circumstances and to give him some direction and some instruction. And there's some things that we learn from Joseph that are valuable for us, not by what he says, but by what he does into this extreme circumstance in which Joseph receives a dream. And the first thing that Joseph does is he listens. Joseph listens. He recognizes that God is speaking to him. He recognizes that God is not only the the Lord of the cosmos, but that God is intimately and personally connected with what's going on in his life, that God cares about and speaks into his circumstances. And so he hears God and he listens to it in this dream. And I, and I think that is significant because I think we sometimes buy into this idea that only some hear from God or that God doesn't speak to me. I hear that a lot. Well, well, Lord or, 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 or Chris, you're a pastor, so God speaks to you. Yes, God does speak to me through the presence of his Holy Spirit. God speaks to me through your voices and the voices of others. But, but here's the truth. God doesn't just speak to me. When I was ordained, I didn't get a special connection that is only available to pastors and preachers and worship leaders or whatever. It's available to all who receive Christ, to all who come to a relationship through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph recognizes God speaking to him, and he listens to that voice. And he's learned how to listen to that voice, and that's a different Sermon for a different time, but the practices of learning how to hear from God. But, but we start with this recognition that God speaks. And so Joseph receives that. He hears it. He listens to it. And then the second thing he does is he trusts it. God says to him, through the voice of the angel, go to Egypt. That is crazy. I mean, that is, that is a, in, in many ways, it seems to be a ridiculous instruction. There's, there's no, you know, this is day before mass media. So there, there's probably no inclination that anything drastic was about to happen, that anybody was in danger. There's probably no warning signs of what Herod was about to do. And Joseph, in the midst of probably what was, a, at that point, a fairly settled life, a couple years now in Bethlehem or in the area outside Jerusalem, gets this voice of God that says, hey, Joseph, pack it up 
and go. And not only leave, but go south and go into Egypt. Go into probably into Alexandria, where there was a kind of a Jewish community there, but leave this ancestral homeland. And Joseph trusted the voice. He listened to the dream. And I think dream is significant. We've, we've forgotten about the, the language of dreaming and of hearing from God um, in, in our dreams. It's something that, that we don't, for whatever reason, dream. To talk about a dream has kind of taken on a different connotation. It almost, in, in kind of the, the British English, which we've inherited, to dream is to kind of wish for the um, unlikely. Even the, the possibility. People dream of winning the lottery. Okay, we, we say that. You're dreaming. I, I'll do that all the time with Tony. I will, because I'm just goofy like this. But I'll try to, you know, when, when we're home, I'll be like, I'll, I'll try to trick her into, uh, or coax her or, or guilt her into um, pampering me. And, you know, doing things for me that I'm more than capable of doing for myself. Um, and it's very pathetic. And, um, and she, her, her common phrase to me when I try to do this is, dream on. <laughs> dream on. Which is her way of saying, that ain't happening. You know, and that's what happens a lot of times with dreams. We've forgotten how to dream. And we've forgotten that God inhabits our dreams very often. I'm not saying every dream that you have is a direct voice of God. But, but, do you embrace, whether it be the, the dreams that happen in your sleep or the dreams that God plants within your spirit, the voices, the things that he says to you that you can do, that you can accomplish that are before you, do you trust that voice? I, I, I was reading something. I don't even remember where I was reading it, but it, was, it, it just stuck to me. It struck to me profound. It said that the richest place in the world is a cemetery. Because buried there are dreams that were never acted upon. Buried there is the potential and the innovation and the creativity that God birthed in the people's hearts that they never acted upon. They never trusted. Joseph trusted the dream. Now, there was a lot more at stake for him and for Mary and for Jesus than our dreams may be. But do we learn to hear, as Joseph did, and do we learn to trust, as Joseph did? And then, the last thing that Joseph did is he acted. He did something. In this case, he followed the instructions of God. He packed up his family and he left to Egypt. He put what he had received into motion, if you will. He followed through. You know, most of us are here in this country, Americans, because somebody in our family tree, some ancestor, with the exception of is if you're Native American or if, um, or if you're African American, the circumstances of your ancestry may be much different and, and much... Um, sadder as far as human history. But, but for most of us, we're here because somebody in our family tree had a dream, had a desire, and they acted upon it. They got on a boat, or I guess it would have had to have been a boat. Uh, I was trying to think of how else they'd have gotten here. Um, 
And they came. They came to a new land, started a new life. They put put something into motion. I think a lot of us, we hear, we might even trust, but, but we don't ever do. We don't ever do. Because to follow through can force us and lead us into the unknown. Again, let's go back to Joseph's perspective. He traveled to a land that he had never known. To a place that was unfamiliar. To an uncharted territory, if you will. But he went in faith. And in the second part of the scripture, the angel appears again and says, now it's safe to go home at the death of Herod. Now, this is an interesting thing. Because the implication is that for Joseph and Mary, home was to go back to the area around Jerusalem where they had been for probably a couple years before. They had settled there. You know, we, 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 you know the, the, the narrative of the birth of Jesus, we, we smush everything together. You know, we, we, when we see the scenes, we always have the shepherds and the wise men there together, you know. But if you read the scripture and you kind of put the timeline from Herod's encounter with the Magi, we realize that the, the wise men probably showed up a year or two later. Okay, this was a long birth narrative, which is why when we did the living nativity, if you came through the living nativity, remember the last scene where the, where the Magi were? We had an a older Jesus in the scene, because that happened later. Mary and Joseph had settled. And so it's very likely they were going back to that place. And again, they follow a different kind of lead because Herod's son, Archelaus, had taken over and he was no better than his father. So they decide to go north to where the, one of the other sons had taken over the reign, Herod Antipas, which plays later in the narrative of the life of Jesus. And so they go back to Galilee. It wasn't really the homecoming they probably had in mind. Again, following the, the lead of the Spirit, following the voice of God, hearing led them in a place they probably wouldn't have normally chosen to go. But they went because they heard, because they trusted, and they were willing to act. That, I think, is a wonderful way to frame our thoughts as we begin this new year. I titled the sermon Back to Life because as I was wrestling with all of this, I was thinking how quickly it seems that that Christmas, the celebration of Christmas comes and goes. And the, the celebration's over, the decorations come down, and we all kind of immediately jump back in to the reality of our lives, to the experience and rhythms of our lives. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But as we start a new year and we use a calendar to kind of reset in many ways, how does 2014 look different for you or for me? Or how will it look different than 2013? What will be new within us? What has God done and how has God stirred and how has God moved through the celebration of this holy season to deepen our faith, to deepen our walk? And, and maybe this is our mantra for 2014, that we listen to the voice of God as God speaks to each of us and to all of us. We trust that voice of God that leads and directs and pushes and sometimes shoves. And we act. We respond. We put what we hear and what we receive into motion through faith and trust that God is with us 
in the midst of the journey and in the midst of the uncertainty. That's the wonderful example of Joseph. Never says a word, but what he does is profound. He listens, he trusts, and he does. Maybe we should have a mantra that is equally as profound. Maybe for us, back to life in 2014 means that we are more intentional about listening, trusting, and doing. Let us pray. Gracious God, that we would, that we would just seek to be faithful. That we'd be a faithful people, knowing that you speak to us as you have to those who have gone before, as you will for those who will come after. Your Holy Spirit that is present within those who are born anew through Christ. And that we would cultivate that relationship with you, that you speak into our hearts, that we would learn to listen, we'd learn to trust, and we'd be faithful in the doing. May that be our call in this new year, not through our ability, not through our gifts, not through our power, but through the power of Christ within us. We pray in your precious name.